And so a coach or a good coach, they're able to sort of listen and reflect with me. Here's this pattern you just keep doing. Maybe the reason your projects are getting slowed down is because you have this fear of X, which leaves you seeking validation and feedback, which delays your projects, which takes them off direction from what you really wanted to do, because now you're just changing it based on what any person is telling you to do. Welcome to Latitude, the show for freelancers, founders, and creators about all of the non-business parts of running a successful business. I interview folks who are defining work for themselves. We look at the mindset and methods it takes to create the latitude you need to do your most creative work. Today, I'm talking with David Sherry. David is the creator of Death to Stock, a company that's been putting a new spin on stock photography by supporting artists to create more authentic photography. Lately, though, he's taken a step back from that business and is now consulting, coaching, and writing about brand building. We talk about his experience burning out while building Death to Stock, when and why business coaching can be valuable, and how to cultivate a mindset of turning pro. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad to have you here today, David. Um, for the folks listening, I've actually been working with David on some of my own productivity and things like that. So really exciting to talk to him on the podcast. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. Um, we've picked out two topics that we're going to dive a little deeper in, specifically around managing overwhelm and anxiety and some of those things. And then kind of the mindset that goes into doing creative work. So David, why don't you tell folks kind of a bit of your background and then what you're doing now? Happy to dive into some of my history. I just wanted to say uh, I've been working, like you said, I've been working with you uh, for the past few weeks and you've been just crushing it with this podcast and with your other projects. So uh, kudos and, and that's been super fun. The quick background on me, uh, I started a newsletter six years ago called Death of the Stock Photo, which uh, really it started as a, I guess, a passion project. I was really interested in uh, the way that the web was changing uh, visually. It was kind of like that time where Instagram and Tumblr and Pinterest and all these sites uh, were really sort of transforming um, the way we we design. You know, everything was becoming very visual online. So uh, I had seen the stock photography industry, which at the time was very stale. Everybody kind of jokes about it. It's sort of like uh, those white background. Uh, cheesy, you know, creepy kind of photos from the past. Everybody knows mm -hmm. about that. So um, I started a newsletter called Death of the Stock Photo, which was essentially my way of helping make the internet more beautiful by providing uh, high quality media resources to designers, to uh, web developers, to agencies. And what started as a very small newsletter grew uh, very quickly. So I think Maybe within the first like two, three months, there was like 10,000 people on this newsletter where our promise was just to deliver uh, high quality stock media every month to your inbox. And that was the first of a series of different projects that I had, um, had tried launching that actually had gotten a lot of traction. So uh, that kind of led me to be like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I, I feel like people are really liking this. Let me really commit to kind of building out this project uh, and see sort of what I can develop from there. And uh, through that, you know, we continued to grow the email list. We launched a paid offering that was this like totally just hacked together, like uh, V1 of a product. Um, I, I feel like if I look back at my old websites or how that process worked for people, it was just so um, sort of ugly, but that's how you start, you know, any project. You, you don't start with it perfect. You sort of develop it over time. Um, so yeah, that grew into a business. I've been running that business for six years. Uh, we've done a lot of random stuff along the way. We crowdfunded two road trips. We sold 
uh, a physical product. We uh, funded a lot of different artists uh, and, th- and their projects. And it, yeah, it's been just like a super fun ride. And a year ago, uh, someone who's working with me, Sean Singh, who actually lives in New Zealand, started working with me on the business. And I, I hired him to essentially take over the day-to-day. So I was kind of in a, a place in my life where I wanted a bit of space just from the project. Like I'd been doing it for six years um, I have kind of a burnout story, which I can share in a little bit. I know we want to talk about that. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of led me to this interesting spot where I'm stepped out of the business now and I'm I'm sort of looking at, you know, where do I want to spend my time for the next, whatever, 10 years. Um, so ex- I experiment a lot. Um, I have a newsletter that I write uh, almost daily called Creative Caffeine. I have another newsletter on a brand uh, called Art and Attention. Um, so I have a lot of stuff going on right now, but the, yeah, the quick background is kind of this, this journey of building death of the stock photo, uh, and a subscription business. Awesome. And so, I mean, it sounds like you kind of touched on something through death to stock that was like a little deeper than just the imagery. Um, and it sounds like people were kind of resonating with some of that. So how can, how have you kind of taken that into the work that you're doing now? Yeah, that's a great, uh, great point. So I think, Really, even from day one of Death of Stock, the way that we communicated as a brand, I think is very different than the way that most brands communicate. We were always, I guess, sort of including just who we are uh, as people in our content, in our media. And I feel like we talked in a very direct way with our audience. So rather than being this like, we're sort of in this you know castle or like, uh, I guess, ivory tower, and then the audience is like separate from us, I feel like we did a lot to really integrate into our community. And through that, we started having a lot of discussions with creators because those are the people who are subscribed to our email list just about the creative process. You know, like how do you stay motivated? Um, you know, what's inspiring to you right now? Where are you stuck? And those conversations started to be really meaningful. And so my newsletter, Creative Caffeine, was kind of a spinoff of Death the Stock. So, you know, Death the Stock was, uh, we were emailing out these, these media sets, these photo packs to people every month. And, uh, I wanted to do something very different with Creative Caffeine. I wanted to discuss uh, not you know, designing or, or making the work or using stock media. I wanted to discuss what it looks like to actually show up every day as a creator to make something. And that's something that I think was very, I guess, unified in our audience. Like Everybody was interested in that. Everybody felt those pains. So the fun thing about Creative Caffeine, which like I said, is kind of a spinoff, was I literally said to people, this email and this newsletter is going to be the opposite of everything that you see. You know, Death of Stock has these beautiful images. It's highly produced. It's, you know, once a month, Creative Caffeine is going to be completely raw. It's just going to be text. Uh, I'm just going to share whenever I feel like it. There's no schedule. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of led to this new discussion forum and this new, I guess, community to talk about those things like motivation, inspiration, productivity, uh, being a creator, showing up every day. Awesome. And yeah, I mean, I think it's like impressive how you kind of made that transition and like, especially how the content it like, it's talking about the same things, but it is, it's like coming from you rather than from the company. Um, but it's still kind of positioned in the same way, I I think. Um, and so I'm curious where, like where in that process did you kind of start to feel that burnout. You kind of hinted that you had a story behind that. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. I almost ironically, probably when things were going best. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, I, <laughs> at least I thought that, right. So, um, uh, that burnout really happened maybe three years in, um, 
I mean, I'd been very heads down and very focused and really, um, and probably adding a little more work than I really needed to be doing or, or thinking about to, to my own plate. But like, I really was in sort of build mode and heads down mode for a good three, four years. It's a bootstrap company, you know, it was my you know, sole source of, of income. So really, uh, it happened, I think, as things were really hitting probably their best growth point. Um, and for whatever reason, there was a certain point at that time where I think my body was just like, you need a break. Uh, you need to do like, you need to, to relate to work differently. You need to approach things differently. And, um, my burnout, uh, was sort of discovered by getting shingles, which is, uh, it's essentially chicken pox. It comes back. If your body's too stressed out, usually happens to people who are in their eighties. It happened to me when I was 26. Uh, and that was a great wake up call for me. I spent about a month mostly in pain and in bed, uh, realizing, oh, okay, I need to like very much change how I approach my work, uh, how I think about work, how I think about my identity and work. And so I think the next year or two was really this sort of separation in a really positive and healthy way of really in some ways turning more pro as a creator because I was less personally invested in everything I did. You know, I think early early on, it's easy to just feel so like invested in your work and you sort of like live and like die, I guess, by the work. You sort of bleed for your work. Uh, I don't think that's super healthy. I think that is a natural progression that a lot of people go through. And so I sort of climbed the first mountain, uh, was then uh, pushed down all the way back down to the valley and then have been kind of rebuilding since. But that's been super positive. And I'm really almost happy that I burned out because... I think it taught me how to approach creativity in a very professional way, um, but also a very mentally healthy way where I just feel way less stressed. Um, and I just, I think I understand a lot more about myself and, and how to show up at work. Okay. Yeah. And I think everyone has kind of faced that to like either a greater or lesser extent. Um, and it's interesting to see too how, like how it kind of shows up for you. It showed up as shingles. Um, for anyone else, there's a kind of a countless variety of other ways it could show up. But um, the one part I want to kind of pull out of that is it sounds like part of it was that you did have kind of like so much of your identity was attached to like this company and this product and this thing you were doing. Um, so how did you kind of like break away from that as being kind of like almost who you were. Yeah. I think I was forced uh, to break away a little bit, like I said, which is sort of why I was lucky that you kind of go through this period where you're like really uh, sort of knocked out of commission. Um, but in terms of like how I like actionably did that, um, it, it's just a process. I mean, I think you, once you start to understand and see sort of the way that you'd been working before, or you start putting together some of the pieces of like, oh, like I'd been kind of in this pattern doing this, or I'd been, um, I'd always been doing sort of this little thing in my work, which is really a defensive mechanism to like make sure that my identity wasn't hurt. You know, there's so many things we do, I think as creators that, that aren't really directly tied to the work. And, you know, an example of that could be looking for feedback and there's a healthy way to look for feedback and there's an unhealthy way to look for feedback. You can look for feedback in a way where you're just trying to get validation. You're trying to get permission. You're trying to get somebody to tell you before you launch something that you're great and you have what it takes. And, and, you know, so I think there's a way we sort of approach work where we're seeking that. 
Um, and there's a way we're looking for feedback or approaching work that's healthy, where it's like, no, we just want to make the project better. Uh, we're just looking to make sure that we're hearing our customers right. And that to me is the more sort of professional way to show up at work on a regular basis. Um, so I, I worked with a coach, which was super helpful in that there were, I think coaching is most helpful when people help you spot some of those patterns maybe you're stuck in. Um, and they can just point out like, hey, it looks like you're like, doing this all the time. You know, Why are you actually doing that? And then you realize it was because you wanted to delay starting a project or because you were looking for validation or, or whatever it is. Um, and once you start to understand and see some of those patterns that you're stuck in, it becomes much harder to continue them. Um, so for me now, and, and this is what a, a lot about what I write on is I sort of feel like there's this healthy sort of professional approach to work that we can take. And there's this unhealthy, I, I guess I would call it unprofessional, but really it's just coming from a place of fear typically, um, or we're kind of stuck maybe in our own head a little bit. And my job with my work is to help people get out of that. But also personally, I'm trying to spend as much time as I can in that positive sort of state where I'm creating without those fears and narratives uh, so that I can show up and do work all the time. Because I think deep down what all creators want is just to show up, feel like they're in flow, uh, make, you know, create without that voice in their head um, and actually ship stuff, which I think tends to get prohibited by that voice in their head. Totally. And I think um, kind of a recurring theme that I've seen so far um, is that that accountability is just like so important for kind of like pulling yourself out of your own head essentially. Um, and that's been kind of one thing working with you that's been super helpful for me is like, you're telling me things that I think I mostly already know. Um, but kind of hearing it from that outside perspective is super helpful. And so whether that's like coaching or, um, anything in the community. And so I'm interested if you want to comment a little more on kind of the role of accountability. Yeah. I think more than accountability, it's you're seeking new understanding. So the way I would put it is if you're stuck if you're constantly stuck, if you're constantly feeling stuck, if you're constantly feeling anxious or um, you know overstressed, or uh, you're just like not able to sort of produce in the way you want, how I, what I believe is the most effective way of getting past that, is to start to almost see reality more clearly than you are now. Like I think something sort of off in how you understand your work your identity, your relationships with your, with your work, your perceptions around work, like something is, is askew. And so the role of a coach is to help you see reality more clearly, help you recognize what it is that you're doing that's holding you back. And through you understanding that, I think you're able to be much more productive. So like just giving that one example of feedback, you know, if you're if you're always soliciting feedback from people because you're seeking validation and you're just wanting someone to tell you that's good enough to, to ship and you're never shipping anything because you're always kind of seeking that validation, you don't always recognize that you're doing that. Like you don't recognize that pattern. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's, it's not really seeing things sort of clearly or, or correctly. And so a coach or a good coach, and, and I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to have coaches help me with this they're able to sort of listen and reflect with me and then help me see here's this pattern you just keep doing. <laughs> like, like maybe the reason your projects are getting slowed down is because you have this fear of, you know, X, which leaves you seeking validation and feedback, 
which delays your projects, which takes them off direction from what you really wanted to do because now you're just changing it based on what any person is telling you to do. So you're sort of losing your own voice. And, and then once somebody points that out, you start catching yourself doing that. And so you're working on a project and you're like, oh, I should email this person and see if they think this is a good idea. And then like in that moment, you can stop and you're like, actually, why was I about to do that? And so I actually think to be ultra productive, we have to kind of remove and scrape away the dirt almost on our, on our glasses um, to see work in this much more professional sort of clear sense, which is like, why now, why am I looking for feedback? Well, I want to make this as good as possible. Is this person I'm asking for feedback actually a potential customer? Like you're just much more objective. And so that's why I almost say it's like seeing reality more clearly. And I think a good coach helps you recognize in a non-judgmental way where those blocks are, where the uh, dirt is on your lenses, and they just help you wipe them away so that you can be more productive really almost permanently afterward. Totally. And I think it's like kind of ironic almost that you like need this outside perspective to like find your own voice essentially, um, that you have to kind of have someone that's not as like invested almost to kind of like give you that different perspective. I think invested is probably the right word. If you are so, if you've built up a, for, for a long time, this sort of pattern or this attachment or this investment, it's really hard for you to break from that. Right. So it, it is very much you who's sort of holding on to these things. And the, when I coach uh, people, I, can see things a lot more clearly because you're right. You don't have those same um, investments that they do. So you can be a lot more objective. And I think this is why we're all good at giving other people advice, but we're hard. It's hard for us to sort of give ourselves advice because you're able to Mm -hmm. see it with um, less sort of closeness or attachment. Yeah. I think it's helpful for everybody. I mean, I think a good coach really deeply sort of understands these things and is able to tease them out in a way that they're not giving their clients information. They're just helping them see it. Um, so I would almost say when I work with people or the people I've worked with as coaches who have been great, they didn't necessarily like give me new information. They just like sort of helped somehow helped me see those things for myself. And so it was almost like this, uh, yeah, self-learning where like, Oh, I'm doing that. (laughs) And then that's the thing that helps you sort of move past it. And the reason I said permanently uh, more productive is because like all of these different sort of ways of tricking ourselves as creatives uh, from fear for not showing up, for not shipping something, for not starting something. If you can understand the ways you're tricking yourself and start to see them, it gets hard to do them again in the future. So I think you can almost like build a stronger and stronger foundation as a creator And that's really exciting for me because I think too many times we read productivity books or we go to a productivity conference or whatever it is, and we have this sort of burst where we're momentarily feeling more productive, but it's not foundational. So I'm also very interested in helping people or myself being helped by by someone else in ways that have a longer lasting impact to my productivity, if that makes sense. Now, before we jump into the next question... I want to pause for a minute and talk a bit about Podia. Podia is a platform for creating and hosting online courses, digital downloads, and memberships. More than that, though, Podia is a company that believes in and supports creators. They don't just build course software. They really enable people like us to do the work we love. I'm a longtime Podia user, along with a few of the guests on the show. 
My Podia course has directly led to thousands of email subscribers and five figures in revenue. As a designer, I definitely have a tendency of tweaking and perfecting everything, but most of the time that's not what actually makes a difference. Podia makes it easy to focus on creating content that's useful and valuable rather than getting distracted by design edits or a long technical setup process. It doesn't matter if you're an expert developer or creating your first ever digital product. Podia makes it fast and easy to create something that not only looks good, but converts well. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably working on creating something. Whether that's an app, a course, or an entirely new business, creating something out of nothing is hard, but Podia makes creation a little bit easier. They're offering 15% off for life to listeners of the Latitude podcast. To get your discount or to just learn a bit more, go to podia.com slash latitude, or there's a link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the interview. And so what have you seen are kind of um, the things that maybe have like a more long lasting impact versus things that are a little more kind of temporary? Yeah, I think everybody has to figure out a system that works for them. I think everybody learns differently. I think everybody's productive differently. I think different mechanisms work for you in different ways than other people. So I guess to, for starters, obviously there's no one size fits all for, for productivity. And so if you sort of have to develop in a way where it's you building these tools and these skills and these perceptions about your work that fit for you and for you only. And, and that's why I think, you know, with, uh, advice for, for business and success, like there's so many different versions of that. Like everybody has a different, you know, bullet point list of things you should be doing for successful and they're all right. And they're all wrong. And the reason they're all right is because that worked for that person. The reason that they're all wrong is that might not work for you. So I guess just maybe to answer your question more is just a general approach. It really has to be customized. And I think that's maybe another reason why coaching was helpful for me is it needs to be customized. It needs to be sort of the, the person being coached who's learning and developing for themselves because that's more permanent than me just telling you you have to do this this week. And it's like, that might stick for that week, but then when the coach is gone or whatever, you haven't leveled the person up. Totally. And I think like, that's one of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast even is like, obviously everyone that comes on here has their own perspective. Um, but then through seeing those different perspectives kind of tease apart, what are sort of those more fundamental things versus what are kind of just like, individual things that work for the individual basically. Yeah. And I like to break down why something might've worked. So some, somebody might tell you, uh, you should make, um, you know, a list of priorities in the morning or you should do a journal every morning. And I think sometimes that advice isn't that helpful because you don't really get the purpose. And it's almost like if you don't have the why, you just don't really care about it as much. Um, so I like to give people an understanding and break down like why something might work for somebody else. And, you know, lists, I like to say are like really nice because they force prioritization. So if you make a list inherently, you're picking priorities. And a common reason why we're not motivated or productive is we've forgotten what our priorities are. And, and I just wrote this in a piece recently, like I think that clarity and motivation are sort of one and the same. When you feel very clear headed about what to do next, you feel very motivated because it feels like it's achievable because you're you remember your desire. So if we're going to talk about the, uh, the, you know, quote hack, the productivity hack of making a list, a to-do list, 
I don't want to just tell somebody to do that. I want to say, this could be something that's helpful for you, but let's look at why it's potentially helpful to how you approach your work. And the reason to me for why that's helpful is, like I said, a lot of times we're not productive or not motivated because we forget what our priorities are. Mm -hmm. And so you might want to use lists when you start feeling stuck because the clarity you're going to feel in ranking your priorities is going to just feel very motivating again. And that might work for you. It might not work for you. But that's the reason that I think some people like to do that. And, you know, so I I guess I don't want to give people tools and just say, do them. I want to say, here are the different tools. Here's why somebody might do that. Um, Maybe it'll work for you, but you should test it out. But understand the deeper thing that's going on here, motivation and clarity. And so do you think then if the priorities are kind of the like higher level quote hack for lack of a better word, um, is there some sort of system that you can come up with to prioritize things? Or do you think that it sort of happens more organically than that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that that could be probably an individual thing as well um, is just like, yeah, how do you, I mean, cause, every, cause that gets into, you know, everybody has different desires. Are people optimizing for money? Are they optimizing for, um, you know, freedom? Are they, and so that's even an individual thing as well. So I'm sure questions would be helpful there if you were talking to somebody. Um, but I, I just think that's the tough thing about the world we live in is very rich and full of information and hacks and creativity and, uh, leading yourself as a creative is very messy and complex mm-hmm. and developing that for yourself. I, I just think it's the longer lasting reality of how we turn pro, even though it feels like we should just be reaching for these kind of quick hacks. So I just want people to sort of start to discover this for themselves and start to be able to say for themselves, oh, that doesn't work for me. I don't wake up early. I, I work better at night or I can't work at night. I work in the morning because I know that works for me and you know, what somebody says in their, uh, their blog posts, like, I don't need to follow that as doctrine. Totally. Well, and I, I like, I think it's something that can be like kind of frustrating almost to hear like, oh, you just need to find things that work for you and like figure it out. Um, because it's like easier to just be like, oh, if I like get up at X time and like do X activity, then that will make me productive. But obviously it's not that simple. And so I think kind of part of that is like, since it is more complex than that, how do we make that experimentation process enjoyable as we're going through it? Because I think then that lets you stick with the experimentation process that lets you discover those things, um, rather than like kind of trying the thing itself. Yeah. Well, I think if you realize that you're not, um, some broken creative who can't figure it out because you can't stick to this 4am wake up time or you can't stick to this other system. Like I actually think there's sort of a lot of shame that comes with that. So I would say that there's more freedom and recognizing of your own power for lack of a better word that comes with sort of recognizing that. And so I would almost say like you want to work more on the confidence piece of helping somebody start to see that they can figure this out for themselves versus the shame of everybody else feels like they have this figured out. Why can't I do it? Like, why isn't the meditation working for me? Why isn't the you know, morning routine? And, and if you can sort of recognize that, uh, that's sort of a false chase and, and I'll tie this to burnout in a little bit, or it's remind me to tie this to burnout, but yeah, I, I think it's sort of like providing, and this is what I said about coaching is like, it should be a non-judgmental sort of positive environment 
where nothing is such high stakes, if you can provide that atmosphere and show people that they can be confident in saying to themselves or to other people, oh, I don't work like that. I'm, I'm more productive like this, or, you know, I'm learning now that I'm more productive like why. Um, that's, I think, what you want to foster. So rather than seeking the quick hacks, seek uh, an environment, maybe with somebody else or with yourself, that gives you more permission um, to experiment that says, if I am not perfect at following, you know, Jocko's 4am morning routine or whatever, like I, that doesn't mean I'm like broken or can't figure it out when everyone else can. Like all of those other people who have different systems had gone through that process where they figured out their own system because mm-hmm. no one else's would work. So if you think about how many different systems there are for productivity and the reason they exist, it's because everyone else went through that same process. So if you look up to those people, maybe it's better to follow your the way they actually got to where they are, which is developing their own path instead of copying theirs. And I think part of it too is like recognizing that even those people that you look up to don't necessarily have it all figured out. For sure. I mean, you're now kind of like coaching and helping all of these other people, but then like went through pretty much this same process that I think you're kind of now helping people with. Totally. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I think that's definitely the case. And so I'll tie this to burnout because that was something else we brought up. Why does burnout happen? And I think there's a, there's multiple reasons. It's not going to be that perfect answer, but part of burnout might be the feeling of shame that comes with trying to, uh, double down on these systems, waking up diet, whatever, and then feeling like it's not working for you. So I almost like to use like a car analogy here. Like you're revving your engine because you're this week or this month, you're starting this new productivity challenge for yourself or whatever. And if it starts to not work the way you want it to, typically we double down. So we say like, no, I'm really going to force myself now to be like this. And you sort of rev the engine up more. <laughs> and then that isn't really working the way you hope it would. So then you're revving the engine up more. It's like, no, not, now I'm doing 4 a.m. I'm doing this. I'm going to that conference. I'm going to read this book. And you start sort of forcing yourself more and more to increase your intensity. And I think that is part of uh, what can lead to burnout versus what I was sort of advocating for, which is this more playful, everything's not as big of a deal. Let's understand. Let's figure out your own way of feeling confident about your work. I think that provides an environment that is less inclined to to find burnout. Mm-hmm. And to so then to kind of loop back around to something related to that, that you had mentioned about sort of creating that detachment that does make it more like fun and more playful and all of those sorts of kind of positive traits. Do you think it is particularly kind of like the goal is to be like more detached from it? Or do you think the goal is kind of like somewhere in between being kind of like completely detached versus like being like almost over invested? I I think that's an amazing question. I think that you want to be positively attached. You want to be attached because you choose to and because you love it and not because you're beholden to it or obligated to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're feeling this like, obligation, it's very constricting versus, no, I, I want to be doing this. Like I'm, I'm having fun, uh, creating this project and having fun interviewing these people for feedback. Oh, you said that my product sucks. Like, that's amazing. I, how, what can I do better? Because I'm, I'm really trying to make this a great product. Like that's the goal. You know, my ego isn't trying to be stroked here. I'm just trying to make something great because I really care about, you know, craftsmanship or whatever. So 
it really is switching to sort of a different system almost in your brain of yeah, curiosity, sort of interest in being engaged instead of obligation to to do something. Um, and yeah, that typically is a problem when we start investing ourselves or feeling like it's us that is this business or this project, because then when it fails, you know, suddenly you're questioning yourself. So Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think, I I know there's kind of a school of thought that is like the non-attachment and maybe that's like the Stoics or something like that. Um, but I, I want to be positively attached without having the sort of negative, um, consequences that come with having your identity involved in something. And I think too, part of it is finding anytime, like any sort of work or any sort of routine is going to have parts that you do feel positively about it and parts that you don't feel as positively about it. And I think kind of one example that comes up for me is like my fitness routine has kind of varied quite a bit over the years. Um, there was a time where I did like just like tons of running and it was great because I like got to go outside. I got to listen to, um, like lots of podcasts and audiobooks, And then there's been kind of like more recently, I've been doing a lot more lifting where it is, it's like in the gym and you kind of have that like more intense physical exertion. And so like, that's also like really motivating and you kind of get like that dopamine hit because it's higher intensity. And so there's parts of both that I guess I kind of do and don't like. And I think that totally transfers over to like the work side of things as well. Yeah. And you have to, I mean, there is this conversation with your own mind that you need to have where you do stuff that you don't want to do initially, you know, like you get up at six to go to the gym because you want to, because you set your alarm the night before, because you booked the workout. And there's still a moment where you're, before you put your shoes on, you're like, I want to go back to bed. Um, So for sure that continues, but you're able to lead yourself through that um, when you get to know yourself better. And you get to understand this. And when you don't have the shame associated with it, it's like, yeah, we could go back to bed. Who cares? But actually, I think I want to be the person who um, is you know, more fit or whatever it is. And again, it's this positive way of approaching work, um, which is the same thing I was kind of saying with like the feedback. You know, One way of taking, you know, let's say a customer emails you and they're like, hey, your product sucks. It'd be very easy to feel personally hurt by that. But I think if you approach it from this more positive sort of lens, which is like, oh, actually my goal is to make this product as good as possible. Now I'm curious why somebody would say that. Uh, maybe I can learn something here, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just like this more positive reattachment to, to the the problem or whatever you're working through. So yeah, you're still going to have those moments. Like it's not like you're this perfect automaton, I guess, who can just do anything. Your mind's going to still say like, hey, what if we went back to sleep? But I think when you have the non-obligation um, type view where it's not like your mind's talking shit about you and you're like, yeah, you're going to go back to sleep because you're so terrible. Instead, it's like, no, actually, mm-hmm. I, I want to be the person who like is fit or um, this is you know commitment I made because I know this is like long-term what I want. It's easier to, to go through that and then it's less stress. You just can do it because you enjoy it. And then you're at the gym and you're actually glad you're there and you're having fun. And so how do you recognize in the moment though, like if it's that kind of resistance to something that like is a long-term priority versus if it's like resistance to something because it's not a priority? Well, I think the first thing is awareness at all. And really what we were talking about with working with the coach is like just helping you see and spot that more in the moment. So even you just asking that question is like a step forward for somebody where 
they can stop for a second and say, what are my motivations here? Which I think is what you're kind of asking. And that lets you have that question and have that discussion sort of internally. So I think you have to, that's like a big step just to get there. But let's say you do wake up and you you realize that, oh, I'm doing this again. This discussion's coming up. To me, it's about the purity of your motivations. And we do things to get something from somebody, from from uh, you know someone else. We want to feel a certain way. We want someone else to recognize us. We're trying to get from the situation. I want to do this bec- so that I can get this other person to say you're great. You know, I want to send this person an email asking for feedback because I want them to validate me. Um, when we're doing it from that place, I think it's an impure motivation and it's not typically going to be right for our priorities. Whereas I think when we're acting from a place of more purity and we're doing it because it's positive, then we're typically more aligned with how we actually want to act. So if I'm emailing this person feedback, or if I'm sending somebody an email saying, hey, I really love your site. Uh, I just want to let you know, you could do that because you're like, I want this person to email me. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to like get in touch with them. I want them to like see me or whatever. Or you could just do it because you're like, I just thought that person's site's awesome and I just sent them a note and you forget about it. And then you go about your day and then that person emails you back. So there's sort of like these different, I think there's like a pure and an impure motivation. Am I trying to get something from the situation or am I trying to give? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's how I sort of navigate those moments of like, is this priority or not? I mean, obviously there's another discussion about like sort of business priorities, um, but I think that's a good second step. So if the first step is recognizing this this moment of discussion in your head, the second step is recognizing what's pure or impure, I guess is the best way to put what's aligned sort of with how you feel and and what's not. Mm -hmm. And so I guess then to loop it kind of back around to your own story, do you think that there was kind of a time or a shift through like growing and then moving out of death to stock where it, what those motivations kind of shifted? Yeah. But I would actually say it was before that moment. I think that was positive, um, motivation. I think it was the, the burnout phase was a shift from I'm building this to give, I'm building this because I'm enjoying it, I'm building it from sort of this place of purity to something that happens, I think, when we get really stressed, which is you start getting more personally motivated. Uh, am I doing this right? Are people seeing me? Is this getting bigger? You know, is it growing at 10% instead of 5%? You know, that sort of narrative spiral that happens, that's sort of what led to the reassessment. I think. So I think that me stepping away from death to suck, like you could do, and, and this is actually how I work with a lot of business owners. I work with a lot of business owners who are in a transition with their own company. And some of them want to destroy their business because they have this negative association with it. They're sort of obligated to have it. And people can do a lot of sort of negative, destructive things in that mindset. And this is kind of like I said, that that mindset that's sort of like I'm trying to just get and I'm very like internally focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with death of stock, actually that was a very positive uh, and sort of clear and and sort of pure motivation where I was feeling good. That, at that stage, I was feeling great again. Um, I was feeling like this is a positive opportunity. I'm excited to explore what's next. Uh, this person I work with, Sean, is like amazing. He's doing a great job. Um, let's give him more room to sort of explore and play in this business. Um, so yeah, I'd say that actually came after, but I think it makes sense that you tied those ideas together. And so then um, to connect it back to sort of the mindset thing too, I'll, I'll kind of leave that open-ended, but how did you see like 
your overall mindset shift kind of during that those transitions? And then also kind of how do you think about mindset from like a higher level? Yeah, I think I think about mindset from a higher level as first being awareness, which is kind of what I was saying. Are you aware of the dialogue that's happening in your head? Are you aware uh, that when you wake up in the morning that there's like this sort of battle between uh, you know yourself? Um, so I guess with anything related to mindset, it's awareness. So you could have a you could have a a narrative in your head about anything that's negative, money, fitness, health, your body, work, relationships, like and, and it's typical that we have those, right? We have these sort of self-fulfilling negative stories about ourselves. I'm not somebody who's fit. I'm not somebody who can make money. Like any of those sort of baked in narratives, the first thing that needs to happen is you have to become aware of it. And that's why having the outside party sort of helps is they just help you identify, oh, you keep having this conversation and it's really not helping you where you want to actually go. So mindset and creating a positive mindset, which I kind of don't like I guess that term generally, but I think it's a good way to describe it is it's creating more clarity that, oh, you're like, you actually want to make money. Right. And, and that's a pure sort of desire. It's not, uh, it doesn't have these negative motivations, but you have this belief that's kind of holding you back. You're repeating it. You're the one who's holding onto it. So once you get sort of clarity on that first, you get awareness, um, it becomes easier to change that narrative. So all this mindset stuff we're talking about, all this productivity stuff we're talking about is just identifying areas that are still keeping you stuck, helping you see them grow confidence moving past them and letting go of them so that you can actually make progress towards the places you want to go. And I think it's so easy to that, like when you are feeling stuck, then you kind of have those loops of like, oh, like I am a person that is stuck. And like so so much of what you want to do is like, and so much of what we're kind of like told that we should do is that like, oh, you just have to like feel better. You have to have like more positive thoughts. But it sounds like what you're saying is that it's like not necessarily about positive or negative, um, but it's more about like that awareness and that recognition of like, okay, I'm like in this place and that's like fine. And then what is the next step rather than kind of that like huge shift? Yeah, it's it's almost like more like, is this helpful or unhelpful? And it's like, okay, I'm, I think I want to be somebody who's fit, but this is sort of what keeps happening. I'm actually the one who's doing this to myself and it's counter to what I feel like I want. So this is so unhelpful. And, and I think when you can actually understand, and this is hard to sort of describe in a short amount of time, but we can actually understand this is unhelpful to the goal I want, it becomes much easier to not do that. So uh, let's say uh, I really want to have more friends, but I'm a little bit stuck. I'm, I'm stuck with that. And this habit that I'm in is that I text people a lot. <laughs> like anytime I feel lonely, I'm texting people. And I'm just like texting them these super long paragraphs, like updates about my life you might not realize that you're doing that. but And the reason you're doing it is because you have this fear. I want more friends. I feel stuck. Why is nobody responding to me? And once you sort of see for yourself, oh, I'm texting people these long paragraphs. I'm texting people I don't even know that well, these long paragraphs. From their point of view, they're like, why is this person texting me this? I'm doing it because I'm trying to get this response from them so I feel less lonely. That's counter, and it's actually making these relationships harder. 
like once you start realizing, oh, when I do that, it's making these relationships harder. I'm doing it because I'm trying to get, why don't I just stop doing it that way? Because it's not helping me get to where I ultimately want to go. I'm doing it as a reaction. I'm doing it because of fear. It's pushing people away. And now I know the right step forward, which is to no longer keep doing that. And so are there times that you've kind of like seen that either like through your own businesses or like through um, kind of coaching clients, kind of some more like, I guess some more like business focused examples of how people have kind of done that. But I think more importantly, like how they've made that shift. Yeah. I mean, I think that like everybody has stuff like this going on that's sort of holding them back. Um, And it could be, let's say like in a business sense, um, it could be that maybe they're the owner of the business and they, for whatever reason, shy away from ever like really connecting with their employees. Right. And like, they have this perception that I need to be the business owner who knows everything. I need to kind of keep power. I need to keep distance. But then they're seeing that there's actually these other problems in their business where why do people keep quitting? Or like, why is there such so much drama going on? Or why is there so much you know turnover? And if they can get past that stuck point of like opening up to their employees and actually building a real connection with them, which they might've been scared to do for many reasons. Like I said, one could have been that they feel like they have this perception of who a leader is supposed to be. That's false, which is like always having to have their shit together and, you know, and keep, you're not supposed to be friends with your employees. Like that's this narrative they always have. Um, and so it's like, if you can create a healthy way to move past that, Oh, now I'm seeing it's enjoyable to actually spend lunch you know, with an employer, with all my employees and connect with them on a personal level. And I see that it has better results for the business. And maybe I don't have to be best friends with everybody, but there's like this healthy, happy medium that's better for the business. I feel better. Um, and why was I doing that? Why was I like acting like that before? Like, why was I not accepting invites to people's, uh, you know, birthday party or whatever it is? Um, so I, you know, every business is, is really about people and all people. Um, have areas like this that are keeping them from the goals they want. They're just not really realizing that it's them who's acting in a way that's counterproductive for themselves. And helping somebody see that helps them move past it. And um, that has business effects as well. Because, yeah, like, like that example, I think, is is one case like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's a matter of basically just like recognizing that like in this leadership position like what is the way that like where like what does leadership mean for you i guess um and so a phrase that i've heard you use is around um like leading yourself and so maybe you can comment uh just like what that means yeah well first off to lead anybody else you have to lead yourself first so any good leader starts with being able to lead themselves well uh leading yourself is really a lot of what we've been talking about which is you know we're we're all our own boss. Whatever you're doing today, whether you have a boss or not, you know it's still on you and still on this narrative in your head to make things happen, to make decisions in your life, to make big decisions, small decisions. So I think if each person sort of individually can learn to lead themselves in a healthier way, which is to not feel the shame of not you know fitting into somebody else's productivity plan or whatever, or you know build some confidence in how you create. Uh, you start to become a better leader of yourself, which is like I said, you, you wake up in the morning, you have a workout planned, 
if you're an unhealthy leader to yourself, you're, uh, you, you know, have this negative story of like, oh, uh, like, see, there you go again. You're, you know, you're failing at this. Why can't you figure this out? Um, but a healthy leader says like, you don't have to go, but you want to go because uh, that's a you know commitment you made to yourself or you know when you get there, it's fun and this is a long-term thing for you. So let's just go. And then you go. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's like all leadership has to start with self-leadership and I think that creates a really healthy community, really healthy relationships, because again, uh, strong, strong leaders who have a good sense of themselves, they're not always trying to get things from other people, which is another thing I, I was talking about earlier. Um, you, you approach situations from a more positive sort of standpoint and a less manipulative standpoint. And so what would you say to folks, which is like probably a majority of folks that are listening to us? Um, that want to kind of improve their own self-leadership. I think we've kind of already talked about that, like it is different for everyone, but um, I guess how do people find what that first step would be for them? See, this, this is the hard thing because I think it has to be the environment, whether it's just by yourself or you start having accountability friends or, you know, a small group or a coach, like, I think you have to put yourself into an environment where the default philosophy of that environment is that you're allowed to make mistakes. This isn't super high stakes. We're all kind of working through this uh, together and you're here because you want to experiment and grow. So I would get out of the world of forcing yourself new um, hacks and forcing yourself to consume more information about why you're not productive and get in an environment where other people around you are being the way that you want to be. And and so I was saying this earlier, I like to get underneath why some of these things really work. So a very common phrase is, you know, you are the five people you spend most time with, whatever. Uh, You know, why is that? Because it becomes a lot easier to just be a, a different person when you're around people who are sort of bringing that ethos to your life. So I almost think if you can get in sync with somebody else in a positive environment, that's not shame-based, that's about awareness and understanding, that's not um, pointing out flaws just to be mean, but just trying to sort of support people, that's what you have to get yourself into. Some space, and that could be just you. I'm not going to, it's unhelpful for me to talk shit about myself and my own Ned. So, you know, for the next week, I'm totally allowed to fail at everything. Um, And so giving yourself that space might be necessary as well. But if you can have other people or someone else who's very strong in this position, um, I find it to be the fastest way to make improvement. Awesome. So I think kind of we'll all focus on basically finding ways to kind of adjust our environment to be closer to... um, what we want it to be. Yes. Find an environment. Yeah, exactly. Find an environment, find a healthy leader. And you know, this is, I have the word of caution here is so many people online who are selling things that I think it's not like they're bad intention, but it might not be a healthy environment, right? We all have heard about uh, sort of leadership things where it's about sort of breaking you down or, um, you know, just sort of forcing people to sort of get something. I don't think that's what you want to find. I think just find, yeah, find a healthy, positive group that helps you grow and make mistakes. Um, and I think that's going to be more a place where you will decide for yourself that you want some of these things and you want to change. 
you'll see other people doing it and you'll just mimic it naturally and it'll become a lot easier. And so uh, just to kind of wrap things up, and I think you kind of answered this through some of what we've been talking about with environment. Um, but what do you kind of, what is your definition of finding latitude in your own business and in your life? Yeah. Um, and I love the name. Uh, we, we sort of talked before the show, it's about space and finding like the space to sort of create what do I do to keep that? Um, I I definitely continue to let myself uh, fail, <laughs> let, let myself make mistakes. So I like, I'm almost humbled and I almost like this, this feeling of uh, being a beginner in things that I do, even if I have experience. And that doesn't put me in this pedestal space where I have to sort of know it all. So to give myself latitude, um, I let myself be comfortable being the worst person in the room at anything. I don't really have to know anything. I don't have to be smart. Um, I'm not smart. I'm stupid. Um, and I'm happy. <laughs> like, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? So I guess I give myself latitude by just like letting that be totally fine and not feeling like I have to protect some image of uh, authority that I think makes it actually harder in some ways to actually learn. And that's what I actually want. I want to learn. I want to get better. And I find that's a more productive way to do that. So that's how I give myself uh, latitude. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Um, and if folks are interested to learn a little more about you and what you're doing, where's the best place for them to go for that? Yeah. Caffeine.blog is, uh, where they can find my writing, where I discuss a lot of this stuff. Um, that is, yeah. If you sign up to my email list, that's probably the best place to find me. Um, I link out to my Twitter. I have a podcast where I talk about some of these things. So you can find me there, creative caffeine podcast. Um, but caffeine.blog is the best place to go to start. Great. Thank you so much, David. Glad to have you here with us. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Thanks for tuning in. So here's how Latitude works. It's the full interview you just finished listening to. Then next time, I'll break down some of the topics and themes we just discussed. This short, focused, and extremely actionable episode goes even deeper into some of what we've covered today. Make sure to hit subscribe to get that and other upcoming interviews. This is also the part of the show where I'm supposed to ask you to rate and review the podcast. Instead, I want to make you a little more actionable about applying some of the things we've talked about today. So send a tweet, message, email, or carrier pigeon to a friend about the one thing you learned and how you'll apply it to your business this week. Or send it to me on Twitter at Zavzen. Links and more are in the show notes at createlatitude.com slash podcast. And I just want to remind you that you already have the tools you need to create a little more latitude in your day, your business, and your life.